Welcome to the Coaching in Clubland podcast. My name is Mitch Johnston and I'll be your host. Coaching in Clubland is an Aussie podcast designed for current and aspiring coaches from all levels and across a range of sports to share their experiences about the caper. We discuss the roller coaster that is the coaching experience, the highs, the lows, the joys and the pitfalls. I caught the coaching bug as a teenager and have been fortunate enough to hold various coaching roles within cricket and footy clubs over the last 15 years. Through these experiences and my interactions as a player, I've come across many great and some not so great coaches in Clubland. We'll aim to keep things simple, practical and relatable so that you can apply these insights to your own coaching experiences. Sit back, grab a cuppa and please enjoy the episode. In this episode of Coaching in Clubland, we speak to Christina Politeko. Recently awarded the AFL Coaches Association Women's Coaching Pathway Scholarship, Christina Politeko is a serious footy coach. Currently the assistant coach of the Hawthorne VFLW team, after a brief stint with Carlton's VFLW side, Christina has been involved in women's footy for over 15 years as both a player and coach. A passionate physical education teacher and the AFL Academy head coach at Diamond Valley College, Christina served her coaching apprenticeship at the VU Western Spurs Women's Football Club, including leading them to the flag in 2019. She's also an assistant coach of the School Sport Victoria Under-15 female team and was given the Peter Searle Coach of the Year Award in 2019 by AFL Victoria. In our chat with Christina, we talk about the parallels between being an educator and a coach, the key elements of skill acquisition, and the need for greater female representation in the AFLW coaching ranks. This episode is proudly brought to you by Ferox Cricket, an ICC-endorsed and preferred brand of both international players and cricketers in clubland alike, Ferox Cricket supplies elite quality cricket gear at affordable prices. Contact Kane and the Ferox team on Facebook or Instagram. Alrighty, let's get stuck into the episode. Welcome to the Coaching Clubland podcast, Christina Politeko. Uh, thank you very much for having me. I really um, was excited to come on this show. I've already heard a lot of your podcasts and they've been fantastic. So really excited to share my knowledge and my passion within teaching and coaching. Great to have you on. Coaches need to give feedback directly. How did I go with the pronunciation of your surname? No, spot on. I was a bit worried about that because you didn't ask me prior to the to we um, recorded. So I thought, oh God, what is he going to pronounce? Because I get everything and everything yeah. all day. So, uh, but you were spot on. So well done. Did my research. So preparation, planning, also key attributes of good coaches. Glad, <laughs> glad I nailed it first time around. We're both teachers. Uh, we've just been plunged into lockdown again. Kids are remote learning. What's your initial uh, response and feel as the kids are learning from laptops tomorrow? Look, it's not the ideal situation, but I think we've just got to keep as normal as possible for the students. I know when our students got told that we're going into lockdown again, they were devastated that we had a couple of tears as well. Uh, I think mainly because they're going to miss out on their weekend sport. So it's just they're not having the opportunity to, you know, stay active, be around their mates. But in terms of, you know, schooling, you know, we get back into nor- normal COVID life in a way, remote learning, and they know the expectations. We know the expectations and more importantly, it's just really about checking in with the students on a daily basis and um, making sure that we're here to help them. But as teachers, we just got to prepare, do what we can. Uh, don't stress about it. We can only control what we can control. And then hopefully this will be over within the five days. And we can only hope. And the kids are more uh, adaptable and flexible than we give them credit for and resilient for that matter too. So they've done a yeah, great 100%. job the last sort of year or so. And Yep. Um, we're obviously there to support them. And I think very much the conversation tonight will be around linking aspects of education with, with coaching. I think they do go hand in hand. 
So I'm really keen to work through that with you. But uh, you got some good news recently. You awarded the AFLCA's Women's Coaching Pathway Scholarship for the year, for 2021. Tell us about the award and the opportunities that are forthcoming from it. Yeah, no, thank you very much. I, I totally forgot about the application. I, I think I, I handed it in early February and I just never heard back and I just thought, oh, maybe they're not doing it this year due to COVID or they're just... They didn't get enough interest. But when Beck Goddard, who's the senior coach at the Hawthorne VFLW, she announced it um, at our team meeting prior to our last game um, against Port Melbourne. And I was completely shocked. I was just standing at the back, just listening to her chat about, you know, what she was announcing. I just had no idea. And then it's just, she read out my name. I was like, is this a prank? Is this like a last game prank? What are you guys pulling at? So I look completely honoured and I'm so excited to, um, I guess upskill fast track my coaching, my development and, and working with Brendan Bolton, who I've already had some coffee with him. You know, he's really keen to get me to where I want to get to within my short, short-term and long-term goals. And, you know, and all credit to, I guess, the AFL Coaches Association for putting this on for the female coaches because we need more of them out there. And that's just, that's reality. So uh, looking forward to this challenge and um, looking forward to just promoting female coaches as well. And you mentioned Brendan Bolton, who has a background as a teacher as well. And Alistair Clarkson uh, was his mentor, I guess, at Hawthorne. What are some of the parallels between being a teacher and a coach in your mind? Oh, there's a lot of um, similarities. And I think being a teacher, you have that slight advantage of when you walk into a club, um, it's like having your own, like a classroom, pretty much, that you get to create that environment, you get to create that culture. With my group, whether it be at Hawthorne or whether it be at the, in the past with the VU Western Spurs, I always had a bit of like a training intention, so like a learning intention. So what are we doing at training? Uh, what's our purpose and what's our outcome? So it's really important that when you do walk into your classroom, which is the the, the, lo- the locker room or the, the boardroom, wherever you are with your your plays, you set the tone for the night um, that you don't just throw in, this is what we're doing, but you've got to have purpose and you've got to give your players the understanding of the whys and the reasoning of behind um, what we're trying to achieve throughout the training night and training week that we can take into the next round. And I think as a teacher, I've, I've been doing this for the last 11 years and I know each year I learn something very different about me and my philosophy of teaching um, changes, which then um, inputs into my coaching. And, you know, one thing that's really important for me is to have that culture and to have that care factor. And I guess I really work on uh, within my six C's. Um, that's based on my teaching and coaching philosophies. And that's through connect, communicate, commit, care, challenge, celebrate. And that turns into a, a positive culture within uh, your, your environment. So with the background of teaching, the importance of feedback, the clear communication, I'm a big visual learner. So okay. with my um, reviews and feedback, I always have visuals because that's the way I learn. That's why I coach. Yeah. But I guess that's the way um, sometimes players can understand uh, what needs to be done and, and, and taken on as feedback. So a couple of little things and you know I've even used Y charts and and for people who aren't teachers it's just a simple Y chart of a you know for example like we broke down what a tackle looks like yeah sounds like and feels like <laughs> right. because we still need to learn the basic fundamentals and we still need to remind our players even though they've been playing for 15 years at the highest level uh we still need to remind them of the basics we we can't just assume that they'll remember everything because 
you know, if we look back at our game and, you know, we've missed our tackles or we had ineffective kicks, well, let's break down what it looks like, sounds like and feels like. And let's go back to basics because it's okay to go back to basics. And and as coaches and as teachers, we sometimes we put our high expectations on ourselves that we just assume that they're going to know and it's okay. But it's a good thing to go back and just include that repetition. One of the six C's you mentioned there was celebrate. Do we do that enough as coaches with growth and it doesn't always have to result in premierships or championships or anything of the like, but do we, do we stop and, and celebrate and uh, really enjoy the moment enough? I, look, I think it, that comes in within your culture. If you embedded that into your, your, at the start, your pre-season expectations that we really want to celebrate the little things. It's not about the goals. It's not about the, the premierships, the medals. It's about you know, the 1%. It's about, you know, someone recovering from an injury, coming back on the track. We we want to acknowledge, we want to celebrate because that's what we want to bring. We want to bring the enjoyment back in, onto the field and off field. And um, I know with my backline girls, I, I really um, plugged in that word celebration to them. So, you know, after we kicked a goal, we got, we got together as a group, regroup, we celebrated. Even if it's someone like uh, a good tackle, uh, it's a simple pat on the back. So we need to acknowledge these players and um, acknowledge the the amazing things because, you know, yeah, we pump their tyres up, but that it just, um, I guess, promotes the, the amazing things others are doing and we need to recognise that. No, absolutely. I'm keen to know a little bit about your time at both Carlton and Hawthorne as uh, assistant coach in the VFLW program. Can you tell us about the difference in your involvement with these two clubs and some of the responsibilities that have given to you by the senior coach? Yeah, well, before I get given my team and or my group and go through the tactics, stru- structures and game plans, I like to, I live by my motto of connect before coach. That is something that's really important for me. That's a team first approach. Um, so before I get into the nuts and bolts of things, I, I tell them about who I am. I tell them that I've got a son, I've got two dogs, I've got a cat. My favourite food is sushi. So I really try and get them to feel comfortable with me, to let them know that I'm here to coach and not to criticise them and that I'm, I'm a human being. So, And it's really important so they feel comfortable around me that if they do have an issue, they do have a difficult conversation, they can approach me. So it's um, for me that's absolutely critical because if we are able to educate our players to become good people, number one, and good footballers, number two, the rest will just flow. And, and that's just my belief. That's the way I work. And like I believe it's been pretty successful over the couple of years. And I guess going into the VFLW program, um, you know, especially with Hawthorne, um, you know, a great opportunity that was given to me by Beck Goddard after Carlton, she gave us a lot of trust and responsibilities and she trusted us that was given to us that we would do the right thing in terms of my club values, you're following the game plans and I guess having uh, the Monday night reviews and making sure that we have genuine conversations. I don't like calling them difficult conversations. I like to have genuine conversations because they are genuine and regardless if it's a constructive or positive they are all genuine so giving the ownership to us as line coaches I think it's really important we and 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 I I I thank Hawthorne and Beck Goddard because it you know they weren't dictating to us on what to do and how to run our lines Um, they gave us a guideline and from there we were able to shape the way we wanted to shape it into our little team if you want to call it and that's where I embedded the six C's which equals the culture we had our expectations we um, I included 
you know, three focus points on a weekly basis. So, for example, if we played a game on the weekend and our communication, our structure and our tackling were down, so that would be then going into our next round of three focus points. But then we don't just say the words. We actually break down the meaning of these words and what does it look like to be successful using these three focus points. Um, and then I ask my players, you need to demonstrate this. You can listen and you can nod your head saying, yep, yeah, I understand that. But it's about let's go and demonstrate this. Let's go practice this stuff. And, you know, from that point of view, I got a lot of experience. And my back line, they were under the pump all year round. Uh, we had five wins, but they were sensational. And the, the best thing about that is that they've made connections for life. They know that they've played together as a group and they've learned something and hopefully then they'll um, – you know, take to the next level in whatever they choose to do. The modern defender in, in footy has a pretty tough gig, you know, chopping the arms these days and hands in the back. And I'm a big Carlton fan and growing <laughs> up in the nineties, Stephen Silvani would be like an octopus with his arms all over, you know, plug a locket and Wayne Carey, et cetera. But the modern defender has a real, real battle on their hands. Uh, what are some of the fundamentals that you really reinforce with your backline group? Just don't hesitate. If you see something, go get it. And I'm a real big fan of being brutal towards the opposition. So it's just not holding back. It's, um, well, well, number one, our big uh, uh, defensive line rule was defend first. That's our main purpose. But when we have the ball, we go. And we don't want to be just known as defenders. We want to be known as footballers. So uh, when we have the ball, we're in control of the play. We we dictate the play, whether it be from our D50 going across our D50, we dictate the play and we want to make sure that our backline girls are able to create those rebound 50s with purpose and effective and to create scoring opportunities. But I think what I really try to adapt into uh, the girls' games this year was reading the ball in the air and having that intercept marks. I'm going to give a little plug out to one of my players who's, I think she's around 19 years old and she got 31 intercept marks and for the highest intercept marks in the league. So, Jenna, if you're going to listen to this, here's your plug, then she'll definitely, I believe she'll get into the AFL system, AFLW system in the next year or so. So it's just um, reinforcing what they can do and reinforcing their strengths. So because if we focus too many times on their weaknesses, well, we're forgetting about what they can actually do. So why can't we just build up their strengths and, and the other little things will come because we will remind them. We will remind them during our reviews, and but we've got to make sure that we focus on what we're really good at. And so that glass half full approach of maximising strengths rather than thinking about deficiencies all the time, because as coaches, we're always striving for improvement and you're looking for, okay, this player needs to work on this and that player needs to work on that. But I think it is really important to celebrate what the players can do well and shape your yeah. team around that. Yeah, absolutely. And then like, you know, the back line, we're the ones that got to stop the goals. So... Yeah. When it's in our D50, we're the ones that are like under the pump and we're doing everything that we can. And we, when we know that when the goals score, we're like, oh, God, how did that happen? How can we stop it? So we go into our, our review and we look at how entered into our D50. So how can we prevent that happening? But in saying that, like it's, again, going back to that genuine conversations and coaching the girls, not criticising the girls that let's do this a bit better. But, hey, that was fantastic what you did before. So it's the little things. And what about the value of an apprenticeship? So you spent five years at VU Western Spurs in a, in a variety of roles. Can you talk about how this apprenticeship at that club has sort of served you really well in pursuing other jobs? 
I actually started playing footy in 2004 for St Albans Spurs. They were known back then. Yeah, won a couple of premierships as a player. And back in those days, you can just pretty much rock up the training, go to have some team dinner, have some drinks, play the next day, and no one's going to criticise you. But then I sort of slowed down, even though I'm only 30, 36. I just thought, oh, that's it. I'm, I'm done. I don't want to do any playing. I just want to help out the club, you know, whether it be a runner, uh, behind a canteen. And, and then I started helping out 2016 year as an assistant coach with Div 1. And then I was approached by one of the board members at the end of 2016 in the car park saying, do you want to coach the Div 2 team 2017? I was like, oh, I don't know. Mate, oh, look, if you need someone, just let me know. It's just a bit of fun. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we got the ball rolling and we were just flying. And I thought, hey, this is so easy, this coaching gig. Like, we just train, we play, we win. Um, so we ended up going, uh, we dropped a game against Darabin middle of the year. And we then realised, hey, this is actually real. So we we created our own little motto on Dream, Believe, Achieve within our group. And the players bought in and the players understood that uh, this group is pretty special. Um, and we ended up winning the premiership that year. So the first premiership under the VU Western Spurs banner was a, a really proud moment. And again, like you've got these memories forever. Um, you look back on Facebook memories that pop up and you think, yeah. oh, God, how good was that? So, yes, yeah, so I went again again on 2018. Unfortunately, uh, we lost in the prelim final, which really, really stung us. That was probably our third loss in, within two years. And I, I, I guess as a coach, I wasn't used to losing. I wasn't used to, oh, how do I adjust to a, a losing game? Um, so that was, that was, in a way, it was disappointing, but, again, a celebration that we made it that far. And then 2019, I was promoted to Div 1 for the VU Western Spurs. And so at that point, I thought, oh, this is actually getting pretty real. You know, it's Div 1 football, Premier Division, highest in in terms of local football for women's. And the Northern Football Netball League is a pretty high standard, I believe. So let's get some plays down. And so we managed to get some, a couple ex-AFLW girls who played with us previously, um, Tara Morgan and Alyssa Misford. And a couple of VFL girls who just stopped playing and wanted to go back to local. So, again, we set the tone at the start of the year. We had, I remember we had this meeting and I asked them a question and I wanted them to really open up to the group. Uh, what is, what's been your hardest moment and your happiest moment? And we had tears everywhere in that room. And I honestly believe that gathering on that night brought us together and we went we went undefeated in that year. We won the premiership in Division One. Oh, I still get a bit of goosebumps at the moment thinking about some <laughs> of the things that I heard and and learn about players. But I guess that's where the trust comes and 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 the belief and the, the connections that you make with a group. Yeah. And it, I've done a similar exercise very much out of the Damien Hardwick playbook with um the hero hardship and highlight conversation. And that really got one of the groups I coached a few years ago very tight-knit, and they played sensational cricket and something I'll probably, for the Arable Club boys listening, I'll probably uh, be rolling that out in a few months' time. So I think things like that, you know, very much contemporary approaches but can really galvanise a group and uh, are not to be underestimated. Oh, absolutely. And and that can go two ways. It can really like, like players probably think, no, I'm not sharing nothing with you. I don't, I don't know who yeah. you are. I don't trust you. But um, I guess if you are over able as a coach able to open to your players and say 
hey, this is me, this is what I went through and this is my happiness, then they're like, oh, okay, that's pretty similar to my story. I'll, I'll start sharing. So, yeah, again, it all goes back to the six Cs. Absolutely. And the way you facilitate that is very important because it is a quite a sensitive uh, exercise. Very sensitive. So. Very sensitive, especially within females. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> um, now, I'm a classroom teacher. I've ne- Often people think, oh, you must teach PE because you, you love your footy and cricket and whatever, but I've actually always been a classroom teacher. So I'm really keen to know more about skill acquisition and mm-hmm. I think that's something that you're really strong and I look at your your Twitter handle and you post a lot of things around skill acquisition. So in your mind, what are some of the non-negotiables when coaching young athletes in terms of skill acquisition? Oh, look, young, old, experienced athletes, we all need to revisit our skills. I, I'm lucky enough, I've got a job that where I teach half my loading PE in the secondary school and at the same school, um, I'm a head coach at the AFL an AFLW Academy. And I think what's really important about that academy is that we uh, develop individuals based around their skills so they can go and play rep footy, uh, NAB league, whatever, whatever they choose to do. And I think as coaches, we expect, especially when we get to highest level, that players are aware and players are experts within their skills. And we we forget to revisit these kind of things. We we forget to break down the skill of a basic kick, basic drop bunt, a basic how do you ball drop or how do you brace yourself for a tackle or, you know, driving your knees up to take the mark. Like we forget about these little things. And as a coach, like whether it be pre-season, whether it be within our crafts of during training, like these are the little things we need to keep revisiting. And it's repetition, repetition, repetition. So whether it be um, like I do a bit of work with Brent Harvey down at the academy and he was saying that what North Melbourne do is they set challenges each week. So they must perform, you know, a thousand kicks before they leave the training track, uh, the training track that week. So that puts the accountability back on the players to upskill their skill. And uh, but it's not also about the skills. It's about, well, when you're under pressure, how do we execute that? Um, when we're under pressure, what does our decision-making look like? So, but going back to my academy, you know, we're fortunate enough. We, you know, I get the iPad out, I get the iPhone out. It's a quick record. It's a quick feedback session saying, look, look at the ball drop. Look at how low you're, you're, you're carrying the ball. Uh, where's the follow through? So it's, again, it's giving them the opportunity to develop. It's giving them the opportunity to, to look and learn. But I really strongly encourage, like, all of us coaches, we can't just think that these players coming into the the high leagues that they experts because we expect that from them we expect that we don't want to just do kicking for an hour but what's important is that we revisit if something's not working if we look at our stats on the weekend and our kicks are ineffective well okay well let's go back into basic stuff basic you know keepings off uh, with no pressure let's look at that short kicks long kicks, handball receives, is that working? So for me, that's part of my philosophy is fundamentals and it will be always part of my philosophy, um, hopefully as a head coach, because that's something that I'll definitely won't um, ignore because that's how we play the game. Yeah. And the basics that, you know, if you execute them that have stood the test of time in in footy around, you know, being clean with your disposal, uh, pressuring the ball carrier, those, those things that, you know, you can look at 1920s footy and it's still relevant back then. So I was just actually watching um, the news about, unfortunately, the late Serge Silvani. 
And they were showing footages of him picking up a, a ball and just kicking it. And it was just off his boot. And they just, I mean, back in those days, it was just kick the ball and get a goal. But yeah. um, now, as obviously, we are very specific on how we deliver the ball. But now we've got the technology. Now we've got, okay, maybe the time's a, a really poor factor for us. But how can we then assign to our players um, the little things they can do at home? Um, it could be just going back to, you know, to the teaching strategy of flip learning. Look, girls, this is something that I want you to, to look at. You spend 10 minutes a day just looking at your ball drop, okay? You can use anything you, you, you've got. You know, you might not have a football. So use a teddy bear, use a soccer ball, use a, use a sock, just something that you have that technique. So they do and they put the ownership on them. So then um, when they do get to training game days, you know that they have been working on their skills because they just they just want to get better. And young girls are taking up footy in droves as well. And you'd see the cream of the crop in your roles as the assistant coach of the school sport Victoria under 15 female team. What can we expect from generation next as they mature into draft age? Oh, they don't hold back. There's just no fear in them. And that's why I stopped playing because I had fear. Um, <laughs> but these young ladies, they are sensational. They, the way they deliver the ball at the age of 13, 14, and just even 15 is scary to think that in five years' time, they'll have the opportunity to nominate themselves for the draft to be picked up by an AFLW club. And it is really exciting stuff that what school sports Victoria are doing and what they've been doing for the last 10 years is creating another pathway for the young females to A, represent the big V and then B, to be recognised as one of the state's top players. And yeah, unfortunately, we haven't had as much exposure due to COVID and and our national championships have been cancelled. But we do have a, hopefully, fingers crossed, we've got a showcase day happening on, on the 21st of August. Um, so that would be fantastic to see the real talent. And then hopefully these girls, you know, get seen by NAB leagues and then get picked up in the development programs because it's just, like I said, they, I mean, at the moment they see ball, get ball. So it's it's all about educating them how to play the game and how to set up in the structure, what to do in a stoppage, where to stand, what to do as a forward line when the ball's in the back line. So we want to make sure that they understand, you know, example of a, of a press work or or being an, op- being an option instead of standing 100 metres behind. So it's educating these girls now because they've got the skills, but it's now teaching them how to become uh, a great footballer. I go out on yard duty at lunchtime recess and the only kids at our school that are kicking the footy are girls. And yep. uh, I have a bit of a, you know, markers in the pack and have a kick with them. And there's some serious talent out there. So it's going to be really exciting, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be really exciting to see uh, when the AFLW get all 18 clubs and say in 10 years' time, hopefully it's semi-professional, if not more, to see these girls that have had pathways since they were juniors because um, there's some, yeah, exciting talent. And, you know, to be part of something very small, very, very small, like 1%, 2%, in their development through SSV, uh, I'll, I'll hopefully um, I'll be able to identify some of those names when I see them on the screen. And you sort of touched on this a little bit before, I guess, but some of the criticisms of the AFLW at, the, at times, lower scoring and perhaps some players not knowing how to brace for contact, and maybe this might have been very much the early days. Are these criticisms fair or <laughs> are they just some lazy conclusions or a narrative that people tend to jump to? 
Oh, you know what? They used to bother me. Um, and sometimes it still bothers me, I guess, when it's sort of starting up again, you get the trolls and you get the people yeah. behind the screen. But if you if people haven't seen Brianna Davy play, Katie Loins, then they haven't seen football play. These two ladies, when that, when I see them on TV and they just go in and just bury people to the ground or they get tackled and they just get back up, that is no no fear, no lazy tackle, no lazy football. They don't roll on the ground, cry. They literally get back up because they have one job and that's to get the ball and, and win the game. And in regards to like the scoring, like back in 2017, when we or when the AFLW started, I think the average score for the teams were it was around 26 points, um, and that was eight teams. And now with 2021, with uh, 14 teams, it's 38 points. So it is gradually increasing because uh, the girls are getting exposed to more talent coming from the NAB leagues and the pathways. So they are expected to lift their training game rate. Um, the coaches are now putting in some great implementations of being more attackive. But, you know, they're, they're criticism. But I think it spurs the um, the females on even more. I think they thrive on that kind of stuff because they're definitely showing on the field. And if someone says girls can't play footy, well, um, they better be careful because there's a lot, a lot of girls out there that are just hungry to put on any club jumper and just prove people wrong. Some of the best junior footballs I played with in under 10s and 12s were two girls in separate age groups. They were absolutely ruthless in terms of their attack on the footy. And I probably wasn't the bravest young footballer out there. So they used to, <laughs> used to give me a bit of a hurry up, to be honest. But um, no, I totally yeah. agree. I totally agree. And I think it's something that's just a lazy, you know, criticism that kind of snowballs oh. when you get those trolls online, which is totally unfair and oh, yeah it's silly and, and and then like it's unfortunately they uh, attack players but again I think they thrive on that kind of stuff I mean we when the Hawks announced their all-female coaching panel um there was a lot of celebrations but then there was also criticism and but we look back at that and thinking yeah despite our you know five wins but what we've achieved is something pretty special at the club we've we've started something new here and we are wanting females to thrive in football not only in coaching but in admin and in, in, in as players but in saying in coaching there's only six percent females registered as coaches so that's still very low but I know there's a there's a few programs out there that are trying to increase the the number of female coaches um, for example she can coach who's run by AFL Victoria you know the scholarship that I was acknowledged you know about a month ago you know, there's there's little things like that, but I think what's really important is that we need to promote what's happening more in the female coaches world. So even like as stupid as it might sound, like a little a billboard in a tram stop, I don't know, messages around the community of you know the fantastic things that you know, for example, Chloe McMillan is doing for the Collingwood Football Club VFLW. She hasn't lost a game this year. She should be in AFLW potentially head coach so we need to really embrace the female coaches and promote them and that's what I'm really excited to do within this scholarship and really share my story on what on my journey and hopefully it captures the audience that um, the opportunities that we're getting that we're ready to step up into the AFLW head coach system and not just be development coaches. And it is an issue I mean Peter Searle and St Kilda recently parted ways and that left no female head coaches in the AFLW. So I think there has to be a lot more done 
to get greater representation of, of female coaches? Oh, yeah, 110%. Unfortunately, and we've read in the articles that I guess male coaches are potentially using AFLW as a stepping stone towards AFL coaching. And, you know, people sometimes ask, well, how do we know the females are ready? Why are we going to take the risk? We don't know you. Well, how do you know? Why are you going into someone that you do know, okay, was played 250 games, AFL-wise or at the highest local league, but why can't you give someone like a Dale Robinson who has coached St Kilda VFLW to a prelim final, and I know her personally really well, and I know the cultures that she's brought into that club, why can't you give her a go? Why can't Beck Goddard go back in there? Mm. Why can't Chloe McMillan, Melissa Hickey, who's coached the Vic Country team, like what is it? Is our teams afraid? Now, who's going to bite the bullet first? And I'm hoping that when Hawthorne get the AFLW licence, Beck Goddard will be in charge. Uh, I know Beck Goddard, she will do an amazing job because I've seen what she's done. And it's not going to happen overnight. And this is the thing that we're going to get criticised in, that if there is a female coach, head coach, and we, in a way, fail the first year because we're going to get two or three wins, the media, the criticism that we're yeah. going to get is crazy. But they don't know what happens in behind closed doors. And and it goes back to the culture. It goes back to keeping the plays there, keeping the group there. And I believe, I might sound biased, but females do a fantastic job. They just got to let us have a go because there are a lot of other females who are not known to people in the high end who are banging down those doors, but they just can't open that door because no one knows them. So, again, as part of my you know, opportunities with the scholarship, is I want to keep banging those doors down to let females in. And like I said before, not as development coaches for the AFLW or assistant coaches in saying that, that would be a great stepping stone for us, but eventually AFLW. I mean, look at the um, NRLW, State of Origin. They had two female head coaches. How good's that? I mean, that's fantastic. I agree. Like people who are the best for the job get the job. Correct. But how do you know? It's not those females knocking on those doors. Absolutely. So yeah. I could yeah. I could bang on this all night, but I know you don't have time. <laughs> no, I couldn't agree more. And what about yourself in terms of banging on that door? What what's the, if you chart the the journey over the next three, four, five, ten years for you? Obviously, you're a, an assistant coach in the VFLW system. What's what are some of the next steps that you're looking to take? Uh, look, it'd be obviously whether it be a VFLW head coach or heading to the AFLW system, but Look, my, I originally had a five-year goal and I'm up to my second-year goal and that's to get into the AFLW system, so just into the system. But, you know, looking back at that goal, I strongly believe that whether it be an assistant coach or VFL head coach, W, but in 10 years' time, I want to knock down those doors because I, I honestly believe that I've got the capabilities of being a head coach and having the coaches around me that you hire we create something pretty unique, something pretty special that players just always want to come to our club. So that is the goal. And I'm very determined person. I'm very, very determined that if I want something, I'll go get it and I'll work hard for it. It's something not just given to me. I have to work hard for it. And I've been doing that since school days that, you know, I've always struggled to get the grades, to get into the uni courses, to get into that. So I've worked my butt off to make sure I get that. So Oh, and I'll continue to do the same thing until I'm satisfied with what I've achieved. Your passion's undeniable. 
your your journey's fantastic and you really put in the hard yards as you mentioned and i think some of the the opportunities that are going to be thrown your way are very exciting you're going to have a real influence and continue to have influence over female football so we look forward to watching with interest thanks for being so generous with your time christina it's been an absolute pleasure and you take care uh, thank you very much thank you Thanks for listening to this episode of Coaching Clubland. A shout out to the talented Aidan Arandes for putting together our podcast theme song. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Feel free to leave a rating and review. To catch the latest updates from the podcast, check us out on Facebook or on Twitter at Coaching Club Pod. Thanks again and catch you around in Clubland.